Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. gotta tell you i'm just so happy for mike krzyzewski and the duke blue devils like this is just something that is bringing me a lot of joy on all this national attention and especially this matchup with north carolina april fools (laughs) just kidding i loathe it anyways this is the episode you dream of this is the show that you think of as a young child recording in your garage one day your team will make the final four and you'll be there well not there i'm not new orleans to talk about it to wax poetic about it the road ends here in new orleans not here again specifically and yes after a whirlwind I guess you could even call it a hurricane of quality play in the second half against Miami. The Kansas Jayhawks are in the final four to face an old foe with some tobacco road D bags waiting on the other side of the bracket. Welcome in everybody. Really excited for this episode. I apologize for the long one last week. I Stopped recording. I took a look at it. And I was like, oh, my goodness, man, do I know how to bloviate? And is this episode going to be somewhere along the same lines? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I've got the I've got the notes written out. I've got the points I want to make. Maybe that'll keep it succinct. Maybe that'll keep it more precise, but probably not. It is Kansas. It is Villanova. It is North Carolina. It is Duke on the other side in the nightcap. KU will be playing at 5.09, right on the dot, central time. If it's 5.08, they're not going to start. If it's 5.10, something disastrous has happened. 5.09 p.m. central time. 6.09, almost pretty nice, on the East Coast. And right around noon for all of those of you with the Aloha spirit. Kansas opens up as a four-point favorite, but before we look ahead, as I like to say, we need to look at what has happened in the past. Real quick, I know Providence and Miami, especially Providence, are way in our rearview mirrors at this point, but we got to talk about it, right? A lot has happened. Real quickly, let's do the, the business. This is the Believe in Jayhawks basketball show on the Believe Network. Your number one home for professionals. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Here's what I believe. Here's what I know. There's only one number one seed remaining. It is the Jayhawks. I do believe they are the best team remaining. I don't think they're the best matchup remaining in this final four. But in terms of a defense that is playing well, and Kansas's defense is 
clicking for the first time, really at the right time, all year long. In an offense that's been pretty high flying for the most part all season long. I do believe that Duke. Sorry. I do believe that Duke and their talent level are finally putting in some effort and they are coming together, certainly at the right time. You know, you see North Carolina in a Final Four, you say, wow, vintage performance by the Tar Heels. It's a Final Four. What else could you expect? But this is an eight seed. This is a team that I watched over the course of the season and thought to myself, this is North Carolina? This team is quite whatever to me. But they made it through. You know, did they have a 15 seed to beat in the Elite Eight? Yes, they did. But St. Peter certainly made mincemeat of top-tier teams along the way. Carolina had to go through the one seed, although a beatered and a beatered, a beaten and battered uh, Baylor Bears. Those are the killer bees. They're in the second round. And then they played a, a very game UCLA team that, if not for an electric performance by Caleb Love, Caleb Love scoring 30 points in the second half, UCLA probably wins that game. So Carolina has earned it. And, of course, Villanova, who we'll get to in more of an in-depth preview, but, you know, they certainly earned their way here. They played a game against Houston in the Elite Eight that probably set the game of basketball back about 15 years. That was a rock-throwing fight, and if Houston has just a bad day shooting, they probably win that game. Instead, Houston had a horrendous day shooting. Only one made three-point shot against the Wildcats of Villanova. A brutal day offensively. And the number two team in Ken Pomeroy's rankings, the Houston Cougars. You are out of here. So back to the Kansas Jayhawks. We spoke right before the Providence game. That got a little iffy, huh? Defensive slugfest holding Providence to a paltry amount of points in the first half before the Friars got cooking, roared back in the second. You know, Kansas got up to, what, about a 13-point lead about midway through the second, maybe a little bit more than midway, and then something happened. I know every team's going to go on a run, and in March, only good teams are playing. But, man, that was probably not the best situation for the Jayhawks to let that lead slip away. Providence did have a one-point lead pretty late in that game. But Kansas stormed back, uh, did what they have done most of the year, which is things start to slip. They kind of put together a little bit of run, put the hammer down, and that takes care of that. Then came the Miami game. So I thought that second half, that maelstrom that it was, KU outscoring Miami 47-15. to 15. Holy Toledo. You know, a six-point halftime deficit, and that's a two that's a two-possession game. And Kansas had that deficit wiped out almost immediately right after halftime. Fran Fraschilla says it all the time on Big 12 broadcasts. In a comeback in any game, those first four minutes right out of halftime are always huge, especially for a team trying to cut into a lead. It's your freshest. You've come right back out after a, you know, maybe a bit of a pep talk from your coach. (laughs) 
I'm not sure the kind of words that Bill Self used. He probably peeled the wallpaper in their locker room during that quote-unquote pep talk. But the message is clear. You've got a little bit more energy. And to erase a six-point lead before the first TV timeout, I mean, you kind of had an idea where that half was going to go. Enormous effort by David McCormack within that very first stanza of the second half. And McCormack finishing the day 15 points, six of seven shooting, three of four from the free throw line, although Kansas was just ghastly from the charity stripe. 50%, 13 to 26. More on that later. But DMAC also thrown in uh, four rebounds total, but he had some huge offensive rebounds there in the second half. But he was basically persona non grata the rest of the second half after that burst. Kansas was rolling. Lightfoot was playing well. And keep that foot on ice, literally and figuratively. For David McCormack, I'm referencing. And, you know, my biggest takeaway from that Miami game, and this is really mean. You know, I talked about Charlie Moore a little bit on the lead-in. He had the chance. He went to Miami. He had the opportunity to grow, to play, to make mistakes, not have to look over his shoulder. And he turned it into a great opportunity. And he made the elite eight. He played for an elite coach in Jim Laranega. He had a great career. And he had success down there in Coral Gables. But my lasting image of Charlie Moore when he was in Lawrence was that, you know, this guy came from Cal. You know, he's probably just not good enough to wear a Kansas uniform. And I watched that game last Sunday. Yes, Sunday. And again, this is really rude and really mean, and he's a better basketball player than I could even dream of. But Charlie Moore, again, didn't look like he belonged on the same court with the Kansas Jayhawks. That was my biggest takeaway because he was the straw that stirred the drink for Miami. He was the little engine that could. He was the fulcrum. He made things happen. He was by far the star of their run through teams, higher ranked teams or higher seeded teams like USC and their ability just to, again, get to the Elite Eight, going through Iowa State, of course, in the 16. But Charlie Moore got saddled with foul trouble, wasn't able to keep up with the athletes in front of him. 26 minutes, two of nine shooting. I believe both of those made layups were pretty early on in the first half. Five points, no made threes, including some ill-advised mid-court launches. Two assists and three turnovers. That kind of tells the story right there. So uh, KU controlled Charlie Moore. You know, Wong had his moments, 15 points. Cam McGusty had a humongous first half. And perhaps the biggest moment or the biggest turning point in the game came from a guy who ended up only playing two minutes total. Cam McGusty working at the end of the first half clock, being face guarded by who else? But K.J. Adams hadn't played a lick the entire first half. He's in there. He gets switched on an electric guard who was having an amazing first 20 minutes. Shut him down. A little bit of momentum. Sends KU back to the locker room. Two-possession game. Could have been worse. K.J. Adams, really cool moment, actually. I don't know if you saw the video. Uh, when he came back out for halftime warm-ups, Reggie Miller 
either called him over or whatever. And you could see he was like, and he was pointing down to the corner from uh, the broadcast vantage point. And you could tell he was saying that's unbelievable work. That's great defense. That's such great stuff for you just to come in cold off the bench and to lock up a, a really good wing like that. And that that's such really cool stuff. And so I'll finish with this in terms of the stuff from the past. Uh, believe in Jayhawks basketball show. Believe network, not podcast network. I saw a lot of stuff from the haters online right after KU beat Miami. Talking about this was a pretty weak road for Kansas to get through. Iowa loses. Auburn loses. You know, a double-digit seed in the Elite Eight. You know, a team in Providence that's not the highest-ranked analytically. A Creighton team without its two best players. To which I say, (laughs) you're goddamn right it was an easy road. Why do you think I was so positive about this run to the Final Four? What, you want an apology for that? How many times has Kansas had that easy road and fumbled the bag? How many times has Kansas had a, a bracket with teams that are way underseeded? Think Northern Iowa as a nine seed? That team was no nine seed. Think 2011. You get the 11 seeded VCU team coming all the way from the first four, and Kansas couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. In fact, this first half against Miami reminded me a lot of that VCU game. Not only the fact that Miami plays a similar defense to that VCU team, scrambling around, hurrying you, making you take ill-advised shots, making you have to make or take and make open threes. Great in concept for Kansas, open threes, but you got to make them, which they didn't against VCU, of course. But they came back. No apologies needed. A weak Midwest round. You know, your three-seed Wisconsin loses in the first weekend. Whatever. Whatever. They earn their place in the Final Four. This is a good team, or the, at least a team that's playing good basketball at the right time of year. And they earn their one seed. And they earn the right to have a bracket like that. And the pieces fell as they did. I, I thought that second half reminded me a lot of the second half against Kansas State down in Manhattan, right? First half, Nigel Pack, Marquise Noel, who's in the transfer transfer portal, by the way. All first team performer. Marquise Noel is in the transfer portal. But those two guys are having whatever they want. Pack's gone for like 50 points in the first half. Kansas looks flat, dead in the water. Come back out, a little bit of effort, a little bit of passion in the second half. End up taking that thing over, winning it. I thought that was the exact same thing against Miami. Kansas looked nervous. Kansas looked tight. Christian Brown was passing up open threes. Abaji still looked lost. I don't think he's necessarily back after that second half performance, but it's good that he had a few shots go down. And Kansas came out with energy. Kansas came out with some looser behinds, if you will. You know, they said, let's just let it, let's just let it hang, right? And when a team that is talented, I mean, don't get me wrong, this Kansas team is talented. When they're loose, having fun, letting their athleticism do the talking, letting their athletic prowess and their big name program get on the court and intimidate their opponents, that's when they're at their best this year. Which means we now turn our attention to Villanova. And let me know your thoughts on everything that I say 
on Twitter at Joe Nasty 90 on Instagram at Jonas N three one zero. So again, Kansas is a four point favorite over the Wildcats. There is of course an elephant in the room for Villanova, some injury issues, if you will, but we'll get to that in just a moment. This is of course, somewhat of a, uh, a rematch, at least in terms of the programs, the rosters are wildly different. Kansas losing to Villanova in the elite Eight in 2016. The Wildcats would win the title that year. Kansas getting obliterated by Villanova in the final four in 2018. The Wildcats would go on to win the title. So here's hoping one way or another. Let's here's hoping the winner of this matchup is like once again, the eventual national champion, right? Should Kansas not come out on top? I think we were, we're all in agreement on that, right? Not Duke, not Carolina. But here's hoping it's Kansas and that the winner of this matchup, again, goes on to cut down the nets. So coming into the tournament, I didn't know much about Villanova, to be completely honest. They play in the Big East. They play on Fox, Fox Sports. I'm pretty big, Big 12 Kansas-centered once college basketball starts. I'll watch, you know, your big matchups here and there. Probably a little ACC, SEC, because I mostly watch ESPN during college basketball regular season. I did see Villanova very, very early in the year when they lost to UCLA. I thought they probably actually deserved to win that game. They missed a lot of shots at the rim. But my thoughts of Villanova when I turned on the game against Delaware in the first round of March Madness was this is your classic Villanova team. High flying. They're going to shoot a lot of threes, fast tempo. And yes, they do shoot a lot of threes. And if they're going to hit their threes, it's probably going to be pretty similar to 2018. But this is a slow, methodical Villanova team. This is a team that's very defensive. This is a group in Villanova who in their last eight games is only allowing 56.5 points per game, including only 44 against Houston. Again, was that elite Villanova defense? Yeah, probably a little bit, but my goodness. Houston did not have their shooting shorts on in that game. 55 points against a Michigan team that was uh, coming in feeling pretty good about themselves. No, 61 points against Ohio State, but in that game, Villanova put up 71 in the 215 seed game against Delaware that we don't really need to mention. Interestingly enough, though, and again, as you go through the bracket, you should be facing better teams, but Villanova's points totals have gone down each game. 80 against the Blue Hens, 71 against the Buckeyes, 63 against the Wolverines, before a paltry 50 points scored against Houston. Yes, Houston, probably the best defensive team in the country. I get that. Here's the problems going up against Villanova. The attention to detail is going to be a huge issue for this specific Kansas team. Villanova, I kid you not, and this is not hyperbolic, is at the moment, about to set the record as the best free throw shooting percentage team ever. 
I believe the number is 83%. They are just edging out a Harvard team, which seems appropriate. So keep that in mind. Kansas, a team that just shot 50% and left so many points at the line against Miami. In fact, probably would have been even or at least within a point or two of Miami had they made a few of the free throws in the first half is now going up against a team that is the best free throw shooting team ever. Also, this team doesn't turn it over in Villanova, whereas Kansas is probably the worst team in terms of turnovers currently in the final four. That's sort of been the way it is all year. It is who they are. It's unfortunate, but you know, again, we're talking about attention to details. Villanova doesn't turn it over, makes every single one of their free throws. Cool, calm, composed coach. Cool, calm, composed point guard and Colin Gillespie. It is what it is. It's a contrast of styles, undoubtedly. But here's what I think the biggest issue and the number one thing to look for as Kansas takes on Nova. I watched KU versus Miami with a bit of an eye towards, you know, how is this going to match up with Villanova after the Wildcats had beaten Houston the day before? Something I noticed right away, and then something that Bill Self even mentioned in his in-game interview, I believe with Dana Jacobson, doing a great job as usual, was we're not staying down their pump fakes. And this was against Miami. Miami was showing and going all first half long. Kansas was biting every single time, and it helped Miami create some open looks. And if you thought the Jayhawks had a tough time with Miami and pump fakes, whew, they're basically graduating to the team that invented the pump fake. They didn't, obviously. Maybe the better way to put it is mastered it. Pump fake you, Villanova, just outside Philadelphia. Not only does Villanova put up a little shot fake just about every catch, they're also the best team in the nation at running to the pass, which in essence creates a little bit more of a window for those three-point shots. So what do I mean by that? So we're accustomed to, in basketball, a player is waiting in the corner. Let's just say they're waiting in the corner. The pass comes their way. They are there sitting, waiting for the pass. They will catch it while in a standing motion, and they'll put up the shot. What Villanova does is they are constantly in motion, and it is a beautiful offense to watch, and it's why it's somewhat shocking that this is one of the slower-paced teams in the nation. They they are a bit more methodical because once they get into the half court, it's poetry in motion. So instead of waiting for the pass, Villanova is moving towards the pass. I doubt – I think they rarely are moving away from it, (laughs) letting the pass – travel more but by meeting the pass by moving towards the ball by being constantly in motion you know these are these are objects in motion a, a defender watching a def- watching an offensive player watching the wildcat you know one second gillespie's there the next second he's running towards the ball and again that creates a little bit more of a window and that's how villanova creates a really high amount of open three-point looks it's going to be a problem. The pump fakes are going to be tough. Kansas's attention to detail on Villanova's movement is going to be really tough. Obviously, it's much better that KU plays Villanova first 
so they have the time to prefer, to prepare for that before the bit more traditional teams in Duke and Carolina. So you're probably sitting there saying, oh, my goodness, why is Kansas favored in this game? Well, here's the thing. Villanova doesn't turn the ball over, but they do not rebound the ball that well either. Villanova does not have one player on their roster listed above 6'9". Demir Cosby-Roundtree, the forward slash center, Eric Dixon, the other forward slash center. These guys are 6'8 and 6'9". I flipped that. It should be 6'9 and 6'8", respectively. Honestly, if I trusted McCormack and if I trusted Mitch a bit more, I would be on the precipice of a guarantee for Kansas. I think they can swallow up Dixon, who's short yet wide. And when I watched him against Houston, basically he would just put his thick body into the long, lean defenders' bodies of Houston and bully his way to the basket. I don't think that can happen against especially David McCormack. Cosby Roundtree, again, more of a traditional post player. Now, these guys can also go out and shoot the three, especially Eric Dixon. I mean, Dixon, uh, let's see, he shoots 51.5% from three-point range. I don't have the numbers right in front of me in terms of how many he takes, but, you know, that's your center. That's your power forward shooting over 50% from three. So we know McCormack is, I mean, no other way to put it. He's an elite offensive rebounder, right? So even if Kansas is struggling to hit their outside shots, I like the opportunities for the big guys down low. And Mitch is playing well here before finally wrapping up his 32-year career. And I talked about the elephant in the room. Let's get to it. Villanova is not a team of athletic freaks. This is not a team of guys who are going to jump over you. Yes, of course, they are all good at basketball. And yes, they are strong. They are able to dunk the ball. But the most beautiful athlete on the team is undoubtedly Justin Moore. This is a guy who is their second leading scorer. He's third on the team in rebounds. He is second in assists. He shoots 35.6% from three-point range, and he averages the most minutes by like 0.5 over Colin Gillespie. And this is a guy in his first press conference of the week, Jay Wright made sure to call the team's MVP. Certainly, he's the one that makes everything go. He can defend one through four. He can play offensively one through four. And this is, of course, if you're not aware, the guy who ruptured his Achilles tendon and had surgery on it this week. You saw the pop against Houston. He had the look behind as if to say, hey, who kicked, who kicked me? No one kicked him. It was his Achilles going, and it's really tough to watch. Um, he is, if you haven't figured it out, he is not going to play in this game. And that is an enormous blow for Villanova. Here's the other thing for Villanova and why I talked about Dave and Mitch. And if I really trusted them, no, I would be close to making it a guarantee because 
if those guys are going, if those guys are plugged in, if David can really get foul trouble on Dixon and Cosby Roundtree, Villanova has zero depth, especially now that Justin Moore is gone. They have nil depth. They were playing a six-man tight rotation. So again, let's look at the minutes played. Justin Moore, Colin Gillespie, Brandon Slater, Jermaine Samuels, Caleb Daniels, Eric Dixon, all 25 minutes or more. Then you get to the other guys. Chris Archidiacono, yes, the brother of Ryan Archidiacono. Brian Antoine and maybe Jordan Longino. Longino, I apologize. I don't know which one it is. Oh, sorry. Cosby Roundtree, I think, might be hurt. He's only played in six games this year. That hurts their uh, their size even more. So, Antoine, Archidiacono, and Longino. Those guys are all averaging less than 10 minutes per game. In terms of points, now that you take out Justin Moore, you're looking at a bench of guys who have all averaged less than two points per game. That is what Villanova is staring at. And if they even have a monochrome of foul trouble, they are screwed like a screw. <laughs> Classic simile. So. That's what you got to keep an eye on. Can Kansas get anyone on Villanova in foul trouble? Because if they do, it could be curtains. Or they're certainly going to start to have to rely on superhuman efforts from guys who haven't had to do anything all year long. If Dixon goes out, big trouble. If for some reason Colin Gillespie gets in foul trouble, oh my goodness, that's going to be bad news for them. So my biggest worries, yes, the three-point shooting for Villanova. They are going to take their three-point shots. They're going to make their threes. But it has to be average. It can't be something ridiculous. I mean, 2018 was beyond, you know, that's beyond the pale. But it's got to be, look, one of these one of these final fours for Villanova, the dome effect's got to take over, right? The whole depth perception issue wasn't it an issue in 2018. That's all I know. I think Kansas wins. I don't want to put a score on it. I think if Kansas gets into the 70s, then they should be in pretty good control. Let's call it like 73. You know, maybe Kansas miraculously hit some free throws down the line to, to finish this one off. Let's call it like 73 to 65. Although that's me thinking that Kansas will cover. We'll call it 70, 70 to 65. I like that better. I feel good about that. I don't really want to talk about the other game. If or when KU makes the championship game on Monday, I think I should and I think I will do a show on Sunday, a little preview of that, a little review slash preview. My, my only take on... Carolina versus Duke is that I want to throw up very hard. Also, to me, from a Kansas perspective, this feels like uh, the Final Four in 2012. Kansas versus Ohio State. It's a game that I feel pretty good about from Kansas's perspective. 
Like I thought that KU team was going to beat Ohio State. I thought Jeff Withy was going to bottle up Jared Sullinger pretty well. Close game, yes, but KU did win. And on the other side of the bracket was a rivalry game. It was Louisville versus Kentucky. Pretty good rivalry. Not on the same level. Nothing is of Duke and North Carolina. But from a Kansas fan's perspective, you know, there was definitely a preferred victor in that other game. We would, I think it's pretty obvious. We prefer that North Carolina beats Duke, puts an end to the national nightmare. I certainly wanted Louisville to beat Kentucky. Uh, on For both instances, it's because that's the lesser of two evils. I would rather Duke and Kentucky don't win as opposed to Louisville, North Carolina. And beyond that, I don't feel great about Kansas's matchup with Duke, much like I didn't, like, I mean, no one felt good about their matchup with Kentucky, but especially that Kansas team. <laughs> yeah, I didn't feel great about the team facing Anthony Davis after KU had gotten, a, you know, bombasted in the Champions Classic against that same Kentucky team. So, yeah, I, I don't really like Kansas's matchup, and I've thought this all year long with this current iteration of Duke. I don't like Kansas matching up with the length of Duke. You know, Trevor Keels, that's a big guard. Wendell Moore, that's a pretty big two guard. Paulo Bancaro, beyond his size, is a top two or three NBA draft pick and playing unbelievably. Uh, Mark Williams down in the post. Uh, I don't love the matchup for Kansas. And then Theo John off the bench is a brute, but he plays his, his, he plays his role well. And that's something I've talked about all year long and something that's being talked about nationally is that Kansas doesn't have uh, deal with slashing guards and little jitterbugs of point guards very well, speedy guys with the ball. And that is probably the best description of the guy who's probably been Duke's best player in this run to the final four in Jeremy Roach. So there'll be a time and a place for this, obviously, but um, I don't like Kansas staying in front of Roach. I don't love them dealing with the overall talent advantage and length of Duke. Uh, so with that being said, hey, let's go heels. So, yeah, I'm thinking 70 to 65 for Kansas over Villanova. I thought that Dewan Harris versus Charlie Moore was a positive matchup for Harris that he could stay on the floor for. And I thought his defensive prowess would handle that pretty well. Early on, that wasn't really the case. But similarly, I do think that Dewan Harris versus Colin Gillespie is actually, it could be pretty favorable. My biggest worry is that Gillespie takes Harris down into the post and uses his size on Harris. But to be fair, if you're trading Villanova three-point shots for a Colin Gillespie a turnaround post move or something down low, trading twos for threes, I think you can live with that. Uh, Gillespie really struggled with the, the toughness and the athleticism and the length of Houston. He had a really bad shooting game. And I think KU could potentially um, maybe harry him a bit. And that'll be a big key for the game tomorrow. So, yeah, let me know your thoughts. Seems like pretty overwhelming positivity from Kansas from Kansas fans and the players and coaches seem to be in good spirits. Of course, why wouldn't they don't play the game if you don't believe in yourself, <laughs> but 
Uh, that being said, enjoy the game tomorrow. I know I will be chewing my nails off. Send me your setups. Let me know how you're watching or don't. I don't really care. Um, but otherwise, hope to speak with you Sunday. Hope to be watching a game on Monday, obviously. You know, it's Villanova. KU has a bit of a bugaboo against Jay Wright in this era of Villanova basketball. Uh, a good way to get that national title would be to go through your demons, face your fears head on, and then go through the devil on the other side. Perhaps it'll be a blue devil. Who knows? Take care. Have a great weekend. Stay safe, hopefully through the celebrations. Fingers crossed. And uh, as always... Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.